0: a quote that we're going to leave up to kind of uh, speak to what we're trying to accomplish in the Foundations in the Faith class. And Elizabeth will get it. Can you guys hear me? I know you got one in your hand. Yeah, there. I did make um, like some notes if you guys want them. They're just brief little stuff of what I'm going to go through and then the Foundations in the Faith uh, outline and what we're actually going to be doing. Um But this quote I found as I was reading through A.W. Tozer's experience, the presence of God. And I think this kind of um, encapsulated what we're trying to do with the foundations in the faith class. So since it's not up there, I know you guys will have it in your hand if you have one of these, the outline. But I'm going to read it anyways. But here's what Tozer says, and I think this is a, a, a great quote to kind of describe what we're trying to do. He says, I must point out that in the scriptures, there are certain basic truths upon which other truths are built. If we do not understand these basic truths, other truths simply become a caricature and lose their significance in our life. No truth stands by itself, but always in relationship with other truths of God's word. This is where heresy begins to develop when men, begin, men separate one truth from another truth. Once we grasp, once we get a grasp of the basic fundamental truths of God's word, then we can begin to understand the rest of what the Bible teaches. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish in the Foundations in the Faith class. We're going to go through truths, and we're going to build on those truths so that we have a good foundation. And the real um, purpose for what we're doing in building this foundation is so that when either Tanner is up here teaching on Wednesdays, Sundays, or whoever's at the pulpit teaching, um, we understand the foundation of what they're saying. And the other hope that we have is that you would go through this, and from this, you go to Mike Vasquez's Bible study on Tuesday nights, where he's going in-depth on, we're going through Romans right now at his house. Um, And actually, we've only gone through the introduction of Romans. We didn't didn't get to go last Tuesday, so... um, but that's the hope and that we just continue to build up and with the new vision of the church, with the discipleship and training up people through God's word. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. So tonight, like it says on our outline, um, the first class we're going to do is going to be Knowing God. Part one. So we're going to start with the scripture. And you guys, I think it's on your notes that you have Hebrews 11:6, where it says, but without faith. It is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for tonight, for your word. I pray you would help me to make clear the things that you want to say and that um, we would all, even though this may be stuff we know, we would listen for you and um see the the deeper truths, um, make sure that foundation that we have erected in our lives is straight, it's plumb, and it's the way you want it to be so that when something is built on top of it, that stays plumb uh, all the way until we get to meet you in the air, in heaven, or wherever it is that you call us to be. Just bless tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we have to have faith. to Please, God. <clears throat> And he says that those who come to him, God, must believe that he is. So what is it that you have to believe? He says you have to believe that he is. So in Isaiah, I don't know if this is on yours or not. I've got stuff written on my notes that you guys won't have on yours. So that way you have to either write stuff down or really pay attention. And you're going to have stuff on your notes that I'm not going to talk about. It's stuff for you to dig into. But Isaiah 46, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah says, or God through Isaiah says, Remember this, and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. So when the writer of Hebrews says that we have to believe that he is. And the question, what is it that we have to believe about God? What we have to believe about God is that he is. And there is no other. There is one God. That's what we have to believe. We have to know that there is no we we can't have little gods. There is only one. And as we go through, we're going to look at the different things Um, that people might say about God, the different beliefs that people have in God. And we're going to try to narrow it down to who God is, what he reveals himself in the scriptures. And this is going to be very shallow, what we're going to do, because the depth of this is going to come through either at Mike's study on Tuesday nights or when Tanner's teaching here. We're just going to go shallow. And this is our first time through. Um, It may go deeper next time. I don't know. Uh, we're just kind of feeling through to see what we have. So we have the so-called atheists that say there is no God. And I say so-called atheists because I don't believe there, any, there is really anything like an atheist. There, there is no such thing. There's an old saying that they have um, that came in the military where they say that there are no atheists in foxholes. So when, when battle comes, when your life is on the line, you know there's a God. Because you cry out to him. You see it time and time again. When tragedy strikes, the people that believe, they say, I don't believe in a God. There is no God. When tragedy strikes, they blame God. And why did God allow this to happen? How could God have let this? Why does the little children? It's, well, wait, I thought you didn't believe in a God. And remember in the word atheist, uh, whenever you put the A in front of the word, it means No. So an atheist says there is no God. It's easy to dispute and refute that. Um, Like I said, there's no atheists in foxholes. Um, The easy thing to do is just challenge the people. What I always do is I just say, okay, so of all the knowledge of the world, how much of it do you possess? Give them 20, 30 percent of everything that could be known. 20 to 30 percent. That's very, very generous because most people probably have like five if they're super smart. Someone like me, maybe one and a half percent of all the knowledge that can be known. Maybe not even that much. So God can exist outside of the 70% that they don't know. So you can get them to admit that. Then they become an agnostic. An agnostic is someone who does not know if there's a God. gnosis, Not sure there is a God. So you can get them to that point, And from there, you can deal with them. But that's what they say. There is no God or I don't know if there's a God. Usually it's the I don't know it is God. So the question is, is it really that important that we know the God of the Bible and that we know him as he reveals himself? Or is it true what they say that all roads lead to heaven? There's many gods, and they all get there. You know, we call him whatever, you know, we can call him Buddha, we can call him Allah, we can call him Jehovah, we can call him whatever. Does it matter? Um, I, I mean, I know this group here and I know that we all know the answer to that. And yes, it is very important that we understand the God of the Bible the way he reveals himself. So what we want to do is take the Greek word "gnosko," which means to be taking in knowledge, to come to know, to recognize or to understand or to understand completely. That Greek word ginosko translates... As knowledge, in the Hebrew the word is yada, same thing, knowledge. So to know God is very important. Um, and easy way to say it, a way we like to say it, is to know by experience. I always use a surfing term, being Southern California surfer guy. I like to describe it as I could tell you what it's like to be in a wave what they call getting tubed in a wave. When you're deep in the barrel of the wave, as the wave's covering you, there's a sound in there. There's a feeling when you're in there that you can't know until you're in there. I could tell you what it's like. I could try to describe it. There's a guy back in the 70s, Dick Dale in Safaris. He does a song called Wipeout. And in that song, he does this little guitar riff and that's his description of what it's like to be in the barrel of a wave. So I can describe it to you, but until you've been there, you don't really know. You could say, I, I know what it's supposed to be like. But you don't really know until you've been there. Okay, that's the word gnosko. Now, in Mark, Jesus talks to the people. And there's an example, and you guys have it on your notes. Mark 13, 28 and 29. Jesus says, now learn this parable from the fig tree when the branch has already become tender and puts forth his leaves, you know, that's Gnosko, that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know, again, Gnosko, that it is near at the doors. Okay, so when Jesus is using this parable, he says, look at the fig tree The people knew what he was describing. They knew what a fig tree looked like. They knew that when the fig tree put forth its leaves, they knew summer was near. He gave them something that they could understand. Okay, that's the word. You can also find this used in John 21, 7. We're not going to look at that. But that's the word gnosko or yada in the Hebrew. So we want to know God experientially. That's how we want to know him. Okay, so the first mention of God in the Bible is in Genesis 1, 1. Where it says, in the beginning, God. Okay, the word there for God is the Hebrew word Elohim. Okay, that word in the Hebrew is God's in the ordinary sense, but specifically used of the supreme God. The word is used in the plural, and it means a compound unity of three or more. That's the word Elohim. Despite the I am ending In the Hebrew word, and it's common to many plural nouns in the Hebrew, that word, when referring to God, is always grammatically singular. Okay, So, we believe that God is three persons that make up one, comprise the one God. Even the word in the Hebrew, when used in this way, it's a plural word, but it's grammatically singular. So, we see just in the word itself, that God is more than one. Even though in the in the, the Hebrew, uh, the Shema, the Lord our God is one God. That's what they say in the Hebrew. It's still one God, but it's the three persons. And we will get through all three. We're just going to cover one tonight, but we're just going to cover that. Um, this word is also used 2,602 times in the Bible. Another word in the scriptures that you see is Eloah which is a deity or the deity. And the root of both of these words is El. And that's that root means strength, mighty, power, the almighty. And that's the primary Hebrew word used for God. And it's used about 200 times in the scripture. So we see these words and what we're looking at is the different words that are used for God so that we understand. Okay, God is also known by another name, El Shaddai, Okay, it's the Septuagint word, and it's the Greek. The Septuagint is the Greek translation translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. We know the word Jehovah, and it's usually usually used in conjunction with some attribute of God. Um, You guys just have scriptures down, but Exodus fifteen twenty six, Jehovah Rapha, okay, it means the God who heals. In Jeremiah twenty-three six, we have Jehovah Tisitkanu, which means God our righteousness. In Genesis twenty-two fourteen, we have Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. So when when Jehovah is used, the majority of the time it's also used in conjunction with some attribute or something that God is or does. So that's Jehovah. And then we have the YHVH or what is commonly said as yahweh okay yahweh is not a word it has been made up um the way they did it someone took the a from adonai they took the e from el shaddai they added the w because the the hebrew doesn't have a w it's the v they put the w in there so that to us we could say yahweh and that's where that word comes from Um, the e was from elohim i'm sorry um so that's where the word Yahweh comes from. It would actually be translated Yahweh. But that's the word that the, the Jews hold so reverently that they will not say it. That's why we don't even know. All we have is the consonants. There are no vowels so that we can't say the name because to them it was holy. But whatever God's real name is, we don't know. It's YHVH is all we know. We don't know his real name. But we do know... Then in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses was called by God to go back into Egypt and deliver the Hebrew slaves, Moses said, when I go back to the people, who do I tell them sent me? And in Exodus three fourteen, God said, you tell them I am that I am has sent you. Okay. That we do know, he said, I am that I am. That's my name. We'll get back to that later. So from the beginning, the very beginning, Genesis 1, God desired relationship with man. We see it in Genesis 3. Verses, and you guys, you know that we do a lot of Bible stuff here. We flip through and we do all that fun stuff. So everybody that's here knows that we do that. Genesis oops, 3. 8 through 11, not 8, 3 through 11. 8 through 11. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat. So we see from the beginning, Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay, we also have Noah in Genesis six nine, where it says, "This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God." We also have Abram in Genesis twelve one through seven. We have Exodus. Three, verses four through 10, Joshua one, one through seven, 1 Samuel three, 10 through 10 and 11, where we can see that God having relationship with man, God's desire was to be father to all mankind. But the problem was is that majority of the people wanted God at a the distance. They didn't want him that close. OK? An example of that would be in Exodus 20 verses 18 through 21. Where it says, Now the people witnessed thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So we see that God was coming to the people, but the people said, no, we don't want God near us. Moses, you go talk to God. Tell us what he has to say. God never wanted that relationship. The problem in the church today with a lot of people is they like to sit in the pew and they want to hear what the pastor's got to say. You tell us, pastor, you tell us what the Bible says and we'll listen to you. And they don't take the time themselves to find out what God has to say. It's a problem from way back at the beginning, but it was never God's desire. God's desire is for personal relationship with each and every one of us. His wanting to be a father. The problem came in Isaiah. Well, it came back in the garden. We read about it. But in Isaiah 59, 2, it says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So we have iniquity, we have sin. We're not going to get into that. That's going to be another one of our studies, the sin and salvation issue. We're just showing right here there's a separation between man and God. God didn't want it. Man's the one that wanted it. We have sin, we have iniquity, and we need to see how do we get back? How do we get to what God wanted? We see man, because of his iniquity, begin to create God. In his image. It wasn't that way. In Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8, it says, But our God is in heaven. I'm at the right one, yeah. Let me go back to it. But our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So, man, because they don't want God near, but they want something, they don't want this God near. Okay, They want something because man is a spiritual being. And now men begin to create God in their own image. And I've talked about it before where there's tribes in the deepest, darkest parts of the jungles in Africa or South America that are religious, and they have an idol, a God. Um, I've, I've said before, Chuck Smith talked about one time a tribe. And in this tribe, there was some kind of a hit degeneration that this tribe had where their hip was, uh, it was weird and it made them walk funny because of their their hip displacement, whatever it was. When they went and found this tribe, everybody in the tribe had this hip problem. And when they looked at the idol that the people made, the idol had the same hip problem. Isaiah, in one part of Isaiah, he talks about this making of idols. He said, you people go out, you find a tree, you cut the tree down, you cut part of the tree up, And you use it to cook your meals. You cut another part of the tree up and you use it to warm yourself by a fire. And then you take the other part of the tree and you make an idol and worship it out of the same tree. He goes, it's foolish. It's a tree. But they worship the tree. That's what man does. It's, I don't want the God of the Bible because this God, the God of the Bible, He requires something of us. And we don't want that. We want God our way. So that's why the question Is it important that we know God as the Bible reveals him? This God, is it important? It's kind of, you know, we we want to ponder that. In mythology, we say that most of the gods become gods, the head gods, by dethroning other gods, the way a kingdom would overthrow another kingdom. And we think that gods are just like us. See, that's how we get positioned. That's how we get power, as we re- replace somebody else. So in Greek mythology, because man is using his own mind and intellect on how God got to be God, they think of them this way. This God kills that God, and then he becomes the supreme God, and this God's having a, a son, and then his son rebels, and there's just all this... I got more into it when we did this in depth. Um, we're not going to do that now. You can look it up yourself. But that's not the way the I am, the one that we read about in Exodus. That's not the way he is. He's nothing like us the way we are now. But in the original plan, we know that man was created in God's image and God's likeness. You can see that in Genesis one twenty six and 27. But the sin of Adam and Eve or the rebellion against God caused the separation between God and mankind. God provided, because of their sin, animal skins to cover them. Remember the question we, we saw in Genesis where Adam said, I hid myself because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat of? He did something in rebellion against God. His wife took the fruit and ate of it and they gave to her husband and he ate of it. It says "And their eyes were open because the serpent had deceived them to think that if they ate of that fruit, they would have a knowledge that they couldn't have otherwise. And it's true. They did get a knowledge they would not have known, the knowledge of sin and death. That was the knowledge they got. We're not going to get into all that again because that's going to be another study when we do sin and salvation. But God provided the animal skins to cover their nakedness, showing them that He alone would provide that covering or could provide that covering. Remember because they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and fig leaves are not what you want for clothing. Fig leaves are like a, a velvety, they say very itchy. I've never tried to use one for skin or uh, for clothing, but they say it would be itchy if you tried to do it, so I'll just believe them, and I'll wear clothes that they make instead of fig leaves. But God alone would provide the covering. And in that, he was showing that he wanted still that relationship with man. He covered the nakedness so that he could have relationships still. He had to do it. God had to do it. But then all of a sudden, man has this idea that he doesn't really need that relationship. We saw that in Exodus. And he didn't need that dependence on God. Again, it's going to be another study. And that is kind of, that's the God of the Bible. Okay? So, what is God really like? That's what we want to know. That's what we're going to dig into now. We're going to see, what is God really like? Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. God says, or Paul says, God speaking through, God has revealed himself to mankind. So he's revealed who he is, what he is, what he's like. We need to go, okay, okay, what is it? Where did he reveal it? Okay, and that's what we're doing right now. We're going to go through and we're going to see. What did he reveal? I said that God wanted to be like a father figure, a father to men. Moses in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 6, he says, Do you deal thus with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Psalm 68, 5 says, A father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. There is, I think you guys have these scriptures on the thing that you got i'm not sure if you don't malachi 1 6 or 2 10 okay second samuel 7 14 first chronicles 17 13 22 10 28 6 jeremiah 3 4 second corinthians 6 18 revelations 4 8 okay so god has revealed his desire to become father figure to us but going back to what we read in exodus 3 14 his revealed name what god said to moses his name was I am. Another way to say it is the becoming one. God's showing his us His nature. He says, uh, we as fallen human beings, we have many needs. Okay, we, we need love. We need compassion. We need grace. We need mercy. We need salvation. We need protection. We need companionship. We need security. Just a few of the things we need. So if I need love, I am. God says, I am that I am. You need love? God says, I am love. You need compassion? God says, I am compassionate. You need grace? He says, I am grace. I am mercy. I am salvation. Whatever it is you need, he says, I am. That's why that's his name. We can't put him in a box. We can't say, well, God is this. And that's all he is. He says, what is it that you need? I am the becoming one. I will become what it is that you need. You need a Savior, I am. And we're going to see that. You need a Father, I am. Okay? I needed a Father. You guys know my dad died when I was nine years old. I didn't have a Father. And until I was 20, I didn't get one. At 20 years old, I got a Father. I got the Father that was the Father of all fathers. He became what I needed. Just a few other things, okay? We feel naturally... Those things, we feel naturally that there is a God. Like he says in Romans 1, that he revealed himself. We feel that naturally. Children, it's not hard to convince them there's a God. It's very easy when you talk to a child and tell them about God. It's, oh yeah, there yeah, of course there's a God. It's so easy for them. They're actually taught not to believe in God. You have to teach them not to believe in God. It's natural for them to want to believe it. The world tells us there is no God. We're not created. We're a product of chance. And that if we're someone in need of God, it's because we're weak. Okay? I put in my notes, amen. (laughs) I am totally weak. That's why I needed a God. I didn't know that. I know that now. I didn't know that back when I was in the world doing my thing. I didn't know. But I am weak. And like I said earlier, if we look at the mythology, um, they make their gods like themselves. Okay, I don't need a God that's just like me. I'm weak. I'm a horrible person. I mean, not now. I'm still horrible inside. Fortunately, Jesus Christ in me changes me and makes me different. But if he was gone, I'd be the same rotten person I always was. I don't need a God like that. I don't need a God like the mythology gods where they're, they're killing people. They're, I, I require human sacrifice to appease me. That's I don't want that kind of God. I want a God that's totally different than me, that can make me completely different from who I naturally want to be because of the Adamic sin or the sin of Adam that's within me. God isn't a tyrant. He's not looking to destroy mankind. Okay, we can see that in the worldwide flood that happened. In the flood... God preserved eight people, a remnant of his creation. He saved them. Okay, remember I said the name Jehovah, Jehovah Shua, which means God saves. That is Jehovah Shua. God saves and he saved eight people through the flood. And in that one single act, we can see love, compassion, salvation and provision. In one act, that's what God did. I've got a bunch of scriptures here. You can write them down. We're recording this. You can get them there. Some other things that God is, and these are just a few. God is Spirit, John four twenty four. God is not a man, in Numbers twenty three nineteen. We see that God is the Almighty, Genesis seventeen one, Psalm ninety one one, Isaiah thirteen six. He is called Mighty God in Jeremiah thirty two eighteen, and Nehemiah ten thirty two. He is our Rock in Deuteronomy thirty two fifteen, Second Samuel twenty two forty seven. He's our Savior in 2 Samuel 22, 3 and Isaiah 43, 3 and 11. He's our hiding place, Psalm 32, 7. He's our Redeemer, Psalm 19, 14. He's our Judge, Psalm 75, 7. He's our Defender and our Strength in Psalm 59, 17. He's our Creator, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 and Isaiah 40, 28. He is Sovereign in Psalm 115, 3. So the way we as Christians like to explain God is that he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. So looking at those three things of God, and this is the Father God that we're generally talking about now, but in Genesis 1 1, omnipotent means an all powerful. There's nothing he can't do. Genesis 1 1, he shows his power in that when he created the heavens and the earth, the word create. In the Hebrew is bara, and it means to say make something out of nothing. There was nothing. And God said, be, and it was. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be a firmament in the heaven. Let it separate the waters from the waters, and it happened. He spoke it into existence. See, the evolutionists, the the Big Bang people, everybody like that, they can't explain where all this stuff came from. It's because God spoke it. That's where it came from. You take it back. Oh, no, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in creation. There were these gases. You guys, we laugh about it all the time, right? The gases. Well, where did the gases come from? Well, I don't know. But there were these gases. And the gases blew up. There was a beginning. It was God that created it out of nothing. He shows us power when he parted the Red Sea. we were talking about Moses going out of Egypt and into the promised land. He parted that Red Sea. It says... The parting of the Red Sea, if you believe that, which I do, he parted the Red Sea and that was in itself a miracle. But when they walked across the sea, it says they walked on dry land. You go to the beach, the waves come in, they go back out. You walk down to the water and step on the sand. The sand is wet. When the water goes away, the sand is wet. Not when God parts the sea. It's not even wet sand. It's dry. You're walking dry land. They like to say that that miracle never happened, parting of the Red Sea, that that wasn't such a great miracle. And they describe you watching on TV and guy takes a leaf blower and he blows some water and does, you know, the waters. It's just shallow at that time of year. And that's how they could walk across the Red Sea. And um, it's like they say, you know, they created a greater miracle with that explanation, because if the water only three inches deep, how did the Egyptian army drown? That's a pretty miracle, too. So it's like you can't have it both ways. Something happened there. I believe it was the sea parting. If it's three inches of water, explain to me how the army drowned because they all died somehow in three inches of water. And that's a lot of people dying, too. So it's crazy. But they always come up with something. Other places you can look at God's power, Joshua 3, 15 and 16, Judges 6, 36 through 40, Daniel 3, 19 through 25. That's... uh, We've got the Judges with uh, Gideon and what God does through him. We have Daniel in the lion's den. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Rakshak and Benny. Um, God's power where these guys can go into a fire and not be burned and come out not even smell like smoke. I can't even barbecue steak without smelling like smoke. These guys were in the fire, and they came out not smelling like smoke. God's power, all-powerful. Um, we don't want to get caught up in the weird stuff. I'm reading a book right now. It's called uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. I think that's one. Um, it's a Tozer book. And, and he talks about it. you don't want to get caught up in all the weird stuff like an all powerful Because God's so powerful that he can make a rock that he cannot move. Right? And they try to trip you up. If God's that powerful, can he do that? Well, if you ever get that question, the answer is no. The reason he can't make a rock so big that he cannot move it is because that would be against his nature. So he won't do it. So he can't do it. So it's just dumb things that people get caught up in. It's God is all-powerful. Then the omniscience, all-knowing. God's ability to know how to create. We talked about creating mankind. He didn't just create mankind. He created the whole ecosystem that we live in. How did he know, without knowing everything, what kind of atmosphere we needed, what kind of plants we needed, what kind of fruit, what kind of eventually animals when we started eating meat, those of us that will. Everybody in here is a meat eater. Um, God knew all that stuff. And with all that and the rest of our solar system and all that's going on out there, as far as anybody knows or can tell, there is no other planet within the galaxies as far as we know them that man can survive. I don't think there is any other planet. But... uh, just for the sake of argument, as far as we know, there is no other planet man could survive on. And God has the ability to know things before they happen. God predicted Pharaoh's releasing of the Hebrews from captivity that we were talking about in Exodus. He predicted in Exodus three twenty when Israel desired to have a king. God told the Jewish people the type of king they would have in First Samuel eight seven through eighteen. God predicted Cyrus as the king of Babylon before his birth, some 250 years before his birth in Isaiah 45. And then the the Bible says that God knows every person individually. In Jeremiah one five, God tells Jeremiah that he knew him before he formed him in the womb. He says, I knew you. In Matthew 10.30, God says that he has the very hairs of our head numbered. Like I say that, I mean, I love my wife. I couldn't tell you how many hairs she's got on her head. But God does. God knows. Every hair. It's crazy, but that's how much He knows us. That's how intimate He wants to be with us. We can also look at Psalm 33, verse 3 through 15, Psalm 139, 1 through 4, and Psalm 147, 4 through 5. Scriptures to look up. This is also, you know, the whole idea behind this is you guys get in, you dig for yourself. You find some of this stuff. You see so that you know so what Tanner and I were talking about today. It's, it's so that you guys have a grasp on this. I've always told you guys, you want to be like Bereans. You want to study. You want to find out so that you have a grasp on this, that you're not quoting what I had to say, but that you yourself have dug it up and said, no, I've read this and I know that this is what the scriptures say about God. This is who he is. Omnipresence, right? That's God being all present everywhere at the same time. Can you imagine that one? Proverbs 15, 3 says the eye of the Lord. You know, that's not it. Proverbs, he's God is being everywhere at one time. Proverbs 15, 3. Right. We can see that it says. Hang on. We're going to look at this. Proverbs 15, 3. I'm going a little faster so that we can get through this thing. We start a little late, but the eyes of the Lord in, are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Not some places, every place. In Second uh, Chronicles 16.9, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. No, wrong one, sorry. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for somebody To be strong. He's looking. He's always looking. Everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. He says, am I a God near? At hand, says the Lord. And not a God afar off. So he says, am I both near and far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? says the Lord. And that was... Oh, that was Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. You know what? Let's do this. I'll read it. Then I won't be all confused and confuse you. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. So he himself is saying, I'm everywhere. You can't hide from me. Okay? No secret that we as Christians believe in a triune God. Three personages, one God. There's three different offices. We cannot describe, we cannot explain, we cannot um, give an analogy to what that is. People try. Anything that we would try to describe the triune God will break down. We cannot describe that. We don't know that. People like to use an egg or or water or they've got all these different ways, but eventually it breaks down. God is something way beyond what we can understand. That's why it's called a walk of faith, because we can't describe it. People want, oh, you tell me how God can do these things. I, I have no idea. How can God part a sea and dry the land? I I don't know. I don't know how he can do it. I know he can though, because he said he can. This person that we just looked at, the first person of the Godhead, whom we call the Father, we're going to see, as we go through the other two p- personages of the Godhead, that he is the first in order, but it does not mean the one that is the most powerful it's our, our again, our thinking is so different because we think, oh, if he 's number one, then he's po- more powerful than the other two but it's it 's an equal there is and and we 're going to see that eventually when we get through all three of them that all three do the exact same stuff, and that 's what we 're going to go through, and we 're going to see we have him as first in order but not empowered. power. The, the best analogy we could have to this would be a husband and wife in the marriage. The husband is the head of the home. That doesn't make him the ruler. That doesn't make him the um, monarch. He's like all authority, and the wife has none. People like to say that when you get into Ephesians, it talks about the wife submitting to the husband, and the husband needs to love the wife. It's an equality. There has to be order. Somebody has to be the the one in charge, but the submission is among all. We see that with the Godhead. They're, They're all working together with a sole purpose. In this church, we have a leadership and we have Tanner as the pastor. Tanner is not the almighty and what he says goes and nobody can question that. There's a leadership within the church. And the goal for all of the leadership is the same goal. The new mission statement. Tanner was the one to say it, but the rest of the leadership was already on board with it. That That is what the goal was. My goal in doing this study here when Tanner asked me to do it was not so that I could have a Bible study here. Obviously, it worked out good. We got a lot more parking than we would have at my house on Thursday night. But the goal is, again, that we would be rooted, grounded in the foundations of the Word of God so that we can go into a deeper relationship and a deeper discipleship studies and um, relationships through Tanner's studies on Wednesdays and Sundays and the Vasquez's Bible study at their house on Tuesdays, and should the raise, Lord raise up more studies through that. Okay, we're going to end this by saying there's different ways you can know God. Okay, and this is where we're going to end ways of knowing God. Okay, we can know God. By the word, through this, through his Bible, okay. Acts seventeen eleven it says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. This is what we always encourage all of us to teach. Um, that I'm close with. I know um, the guys that will be teaching on Thursday nights. This is something that we all want to see is that everybody gets in and digs out for themselves these things to make sure that what we're teaching are so they are things that are taught in the Bible also second Timothy 316 is another scripture um, that we can see a way of knowing God first uh, Corinthians chapter two verses nine through twelve it says But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So we can know through the Spirit. Exodus 33, 13, we can know by God's grace. It says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. This is Moses speaking back to God. He says, Pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. So through grace, we can know the ways of God. Another way would be through self-sacrifice in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Yet indeed, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So we see there Paul self sacrificing. I give it all up for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Self sacrifice. But there is a limitation to what we can know about God. And that's why it's okay for us not to have every answer because there are limitations. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, it says. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So there is a limitation to what we can know about God. That wonder that will always be in awe. We know that it's so high we can't attain it, but we can never stop trying to attain the knowledge and the ways of God. That's our goal. That's the new mission statement here in Calvary Chapel, Running Springs, is that we would get to know God through His Word through teaching, and through discipleship. It's high. We're not going to attain it. But we always aim for it. Our goal is holiness. Our goal is perfection. We can never stop striving for that. That's the goal of this church. That's the goal of this study, of Mike Vasquez's study, of Tanner's studies. Again, Tozer said, I must point out That in the scriptures, there are certain basic truths upon which other truths are built. If we do not understand these basic truths, other truths simply become a caricature and lose their significance in our life. No truth stands by itself, but always in relationship with other truths of God's word. This is where heresy begins to develop when men separate one truth from another truth. Once we grasp, get a grasp of the basic fundamental truths of God's word, then we can begin to understand the rest. Of what the Bible teaches. So we've gone through. We've seen the first person of the Godhead. The one we call the Father. We see it in Scripture. Very surface is all we did. It was a very surface look at it. It's up to you guys to dig deeper. And find depth in what we know about God. I just taught this. What was it? A few months ago. And it was like, the, I didn't, if you guys were there, I did not teach this. This is not what I taught in the last study. It, this is completely different. So it's, it's like, I spent, whatever, four or five weeks on it last time. And I just, God gave me something completely different this time. That's the depth of God. You will never get to a point where you've got it wired, that you've got it down. Always digging, always searching, always wanting to know in a deeper way, who God is and what He wants. And that's the whole purpose. As we go through and we learn about God, we learn about sin and salvation, we cover all these different things that we're going to cover. Uh, practical Christian, living prayer, faith, worship, the will of God, dating and marriage. That foundational step, because then from there we're going to, we're going to grow from that. And um, you know, you guys already know I'm not going to be the only one doing this. We will have other teachers here taking some of these classes and teaching them. But there's the Father. Hopefully, uh, we'll see some other faces. And know we got Richard was new. Mike was here. Um, but let's pray. And, wow, I got done in time. So, Father, we just thank you for tonight, for your word. Pray we would just continue to bless you. Would keep us safe as we travel back home um, with the icy roads and the snow. And we just... Pray that you continue to draw those people that you would have to be here. I know it's not an a accident that you called us here to this church to do this study. So just bless it. Use it. Teach us and help us to be open to receive from you those things that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.